chapter 1. Our passage for today will be found in verses 15 through 19. Ephesians chapter 1, <clears throat> verses 15 through 19. Also, the children up to age of three can be taken to the back. We have uh, a nursery available for them. Using the Pew Bible, uh, this passage is found on page 976. 976. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 1 through 15, or excuse me, verses 15 through 19. This is the word of God. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe, according to the working of his great might. That is the word of the Lord. May the Lord bless the reading and the hearing of his word. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you in this time, and we are just thankful that we are your people that you have called us out of darkness into your marvelous light. And on a weekly basis, we are able to gather, sing of your praises, worship you in spirit and in truth, um, and continue to be washed by your word. I pray, Lord, that my time through this week as this crooked stick, uh, that you make straight lines through me, Lord. Uh, I thank you for the convictions and the uh, edification that was received through this time, and I pray that it, it shines forth uh, faithfully uh, for your people. Uh, it is your word that goes forth and does not return to you void. And so I pray and ask, Lord, today for us all that we um, receive that, that we stand upon that promise knowing that you will answer that for us. It's in Jesus' name that we pray and give thanks. Amen. All right. So um, first off, um, obviously pastor's in here. He's on vacation this week. And um, he had asked me to preach for him a couple of weeks ago, and I was like, yeah, you know, I'll do it. And uh, this is my first sermon in the book of Ephesians. And, you know, when we were preaching through John, you know, as you preach through that book from beginning to end, it was kind of, uh, you know, I just pick up where he'd leave off. And it was a pretty smooth transition. But um, this being my first time preaching through Ephesians, it's different than studying it for personal gain. Uh, and so there was some, some trials throughout the week, uh, you know, just living life, ministry, work, family, everything that goes along with it. There's always different things that come along. But, um, you know, in, in order to to help pastor, you know, get a little break, be refreshed, get get all that stuff. You know, I signed this is what I this is what I was called to. Right. I signed up for it, but I was called to it. And so I'm thankful for that. And I'm thankful that uh, pastor was able to take that break and and spend time with his family and get away and do all that. So I believe he's watching. And if he is, happy birthday to you. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, uh, lots of highs and lows. It just, it's, it's just, it is what it is. Right. And I, it's a, I don't want to say love, hate thing. Uh, it's a gift and it's, it's, uh, it's sanctifying, right? Let me put it that way. I'm not going to say it's a gift and a curse. It's, it's definitely a gift, but it's like this weird thing where you think you've got it figured out and God's like, no, that's not, that's not the direction you're supposed to go and scrap it, start over. And so that's, that's kind of how my week was this week. I probably restarted and rewrote this thing. Three, three times, three or four times, something like that. Anyways, thought I had it figured out. Nope, that wasn't it. And so 
I'm, I'm praying and hoping that this is what God has for us. I mean, it's, it's going to be what it is, right? So uh, I'm thankful for that, right? And, and to say that, I say God works all things together for our good. And so I'm standing upon his promises and what he says. And I'm just thankful that uh, in spite of the foolishness of man and, and the things that we do to hinder God's work, he remains faithful and he is good to us. And so I'm not saying that to, to lower the expectation. I'm just giving you a peek into my mind. I'm just giving you a peek into my mind. That's, that's where I'm at. Uh, but I'm, I'm truly thankful for God and his work. And listening to uh, the, the Sunday school this morning and uh, hearing the, the music that we sung earlier, it's been very reassuring that, um, that this sermon was first preached to me, and now I'm preaching it to you. And so whenever, uh, if, if I get, I don't want to say animated, but passionate, and you think that I'm speaking to you personally, uh, thank God for that, because that's the spirit working in, in you, because uh, my toes were stepped on multiple times through this week, and so I pray the same for you. So uh, with that said, <laughs> it's just this one. So with that said, right, this is Paul's letter to the Ephesian church, right? It's been wonderful so far. These past three sermons have, have been very beneficial for me. Uh, and I'm sure it's been the same for you. Where we find ourselves at today, well, let me, before I go there, where, where we were these past couple of weeks is just these foundational truths that were found in the first 14 verses of this letter. Uh, what we've seen so far in, this, uh, in these first three weeks were who we are in Christ, right? This, the uh, overall theme of the book of Ephesians is the mysteries of God um, for the church. But what we've seen so far is these foundational truths that everything else is you can't get there without having these things. And so that's where we are today. We've seen who we are in Christ, right? As Pastor mentioned in these last couple of sermons, we've been elected by the Father, we've been redeemed by the Son, and we've been sealed by the Holy Spirit, right? That's who we are in Christ. Now, after those first verses that we've seen and we've gone through these sermons, there's three more things that we see in these verses today. And this is what we have in Christ, right? We've seen who we are in Christ. We're going to see the things that we've been given in Christ. And so what are those three things? Uh, the spirit of wisdom, we're going to talk about that, the hope of glory, and us as witnesses of his power. Those are the three things that I hope for us to see in this passage today. The spirit of wisdom, the hope of glory, and our witness uh, of us being witnesses of his power. So let's go ahead and look at verses 15 through 17 first. This is where we're going to start. I'm going to reread it for, for context. It says this, For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that God, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. So where we find ourselves today in this passage, as I said, this is what we have in Christ. This is a prayer that Paul is offering uh, this is one of his 40-plus prayers that we see throughout his letters. Um, and he's giving thanks, first and foremost, to God for what he's done for these people. Uh, now, this church in Ephesus, uh, we see its origins in Acts 18 and 19. This is when Paul's on his missionary journey. He starts preaching there, and there's the gathering of the saints. <clears throat> Excuse me. And so this comes years later. He's receiving reports of their faithful service, the things that they're doing well. And, and so these are people that he knows intimately. And so having this, um, these good reports come to him, it, it warms his heart, seeing what God is doing in the midst of these people. Uh, if you continued on from eight, Acts 18 to 19 to 20, we see this was the last time he spent with them. And there was uh, crying, there was weeping, there was lots of hugs, and there was this strong bond that 
you know, it's like sending off your child to the military, right, for him to go to boot camp or being stationed somewhere. There's like this, this like a ripping that's happening. And so for these people, knowing that this would be the last time they would see him physically, there was a lot of uh, turmoil, a lot of mourning that was going on. And so we, we understand that there was a deep bond between these people. It wasn't just like he went there, established a church, and then left. There was a strong bond between these people. And so uh, the fact that this letter that we have here does not have open rebukes of uh, the church being riddled with sin shows this faithfulness of God within the people. And so uh, this is something that kind of, you know, I think about for us today when we consider the culture that we live in. It's difficult to abstain from sin and from the, the infiltrations of the world to try to look like the world instead of looking like the church. Um, and so what we get in these, in these verses in this prayer is a peek into the mind of Paul and his prayer for the people uh, to continue on faithfully in their service to God. And so I really appreciate that about this passage. I kind of think about the way we tend to be, uh, or I, I guess I can say for myself, whenever, whenever I was a kid and my parents would leave the house for going out somewhere or whatever, and they'd leave me with my little brother, I'd get a list of do's and don'ts, right? Like, don't do this, don't answer the door, don't answer the phone, don't do this, don't break, don't fight, don't do any of these things, right? All these, don't do these things. I want to keep you safe. I don't want the house to burn down. Don't do these things, right? Just if you stay in this, in this pocket here, you'll be safe. We won't have any issues. And so there's, there's, some, there's some wisdom there. There's some, some truth that's there. Uh, but it, that's not all that, that's there for us as Christians, right? As Paul is... is um, given us this letter, he doesn't open the letter with do's and don'ts, right? He's not doing these things. And like I said, there is wisdom there uh, when we're thinking about abstaining from sin and trying to resist temptation. You know, don't put yourself in, in these situations or whatever. Uh, but we also have to consider the other aspect of that. Like, that's one side. But on the other side, we have to understand the, like, who we are first. And so I think that's the, 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 the thing that we have to keep in mind um, when we think about when we have sin in our own lives, when we're tempted, whenever all these things come up, it's, it's one thing to say, don't do these things, right? Don't, don't get drunk, don't cuss someone out, don't murder, don't steal, don't lie, right? It's easy to say those things, uh, but then we just make excuses why it's okay for us to do them. And so I think what Paul is trying to get across here, as we see in these verses here, is there's, there's a reason why we don't do those things. There's a reason why we're able to uh, step up in faith and stand firm in our faith and not and resist the devil and he'll flee from us, uh, not just a bunch of do's and don'ts. And so uh, that's kind of where my mind goes when I think about this. So, um, give me a second. so yeah, so that's that's kind of the the outset of where I'm coming from these first couple of verses. Why does Paul go this way? Why is he giving thanks for these things and, and giving these lists of things that, that are given and not giving a list of do's and don'ts. So what, uh, excuse me, what Paul does here, um, like I said, let me back up a little bit, I apologize. So what we tend to do in these temptations, right, we either stand firm in the faith or we give in to them. That's, that's the way we naturally go. And as we experience these things, uh, there is this, sorry, excuse me, um, yeah, we go through both of these things. And so how we get away from these things, how we resist them, how we get out of trials and pains and sins is the gospel, right? We need this, the gospel to shine light in these dark places, to remind us who we are in Christ. Therefore, we can, that way we can get out of them and serve God faithfully. 
And so I think that's the thing that is important for us to understand when we read these verses. It's not necessarily just about the no's, the do's, and the don'ts, but it's knowing who we are in order to do the things for the right reasons. <clears throat> Excuse me, for the right reasons. And so I, I think this is something that we see with the Ephesians. Uh, the, the church in Ephesus, what it is, is this is uh, the center for the... For, um, the goddess Artemis, this was this culture, excuse me, there was this goddess Artemis that was a Roman god, um, or excuse me, a Greek god that was the god of fertility, and this was kind of like a normal thing for them to uh, perform these pagan practices, to offer sacrifices to this god. This was how it was in that city. And so these Christians who were converts from these pagan religions, they were coming out of these things, right? These were things that they were grown up with. These are things that they did in their everyday life. And so they're trying to resist these things and live a, a godly life and, and not give into that lifestyle going back to those things. And so as I, as I read this and as I thought about where we are today, there's a lot of things that I've done in my life that are not Christian and habits that I form that are not godly. And so you try to resist those things and you know people that know you from that lifestyle and you don't want to seem like a, like a weirdo and, and just completely separate yourself from everybody, but you want to be someone who's in the world but not of the world, right? So there's this desire to, to put yourself out there, uh, be faithful in your service and in your walk and your words and your thoughts. And I think that's the difference with kind of cutting stuff off out of your life and actually walking in these areas of life with wisdom and, and knowledge. And so I think that's why Paul is uh, saying these things to us here. <clears throat> Took me a little while to get there, so I apologize for that. But this is what he says, right? This is what he says here. He says that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. Now, this, along with what we've already talked about in the first 14 verses of this chapter, is the foundation upon which all these other truths rest, right? We can't have chapter 3, 4, 5, 6, um, well, excuse me, 2, 3, 4, 5, and 6 uh, without chapter 1, right? The fact that we have commands given in chapters 4, 5, and 6 to um, love, with, love one another, to submit to your husband, to love your wife like Christ loved the church, to raise your kids in the fear and the admonition of the Lord, to do all these things that God has called us to, we can't understand those things until we understand who we are first and what we've been given in order to do those things. And so that's why I believe we see what we see here. We must first understand who we are and then what we've been given, right? And the thing that we've been given here, what we see Paul preaching about or is praying about, excuse me, is the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of God. Now, it's this, this is very kind of, Weird language, right? This is kind of lofty language, if you will. These aren't the way that we speak nowadays. So we ask the question, well, what does that mean to be given a spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him? Well, I think it looks like this, right? If we go to Psalm 14, it says, a fool in his heart says there is no God, right? A fool in his heart says there is no God. If there is no God, then I am my own God. I make my own rules. I make my own decisions and I control my destiny, right? I, I, get, to, I get to make the decision. I get to do what I want. But if there is a God, then he makes the rules, he makes the decisions, and he controls my destiny. So where does that tell us? Well, wisdom is in knowing the difference between these two, right? Wisdom is knowing the difference between these two. If he controls my destiny, I must look to him to know what I live for and how I am to live, right? I must know who he is and who I am in light of what he's made me, right? This is the spirit of wisdom and of revelation excuse me, in the knowledge of him. But it goes deeper than that, 
right? It's, it's more than just that. And I think there's a, a good quote that I've heard here multiple times uh, from people. It's found in this book, uh, Knowing God by J.I. Packer. And it's why I kind of named the sermon what I did, because I feel like this is important for us to understand. The quote is this. There's a difference between knowing God and knowing about God. When you truly know God, you have energy to serve him, boldness to share him, and contentment in him. Right? There's a difference between knowing God and knowing about God. When we truly know him, right? when we know who God is, we have the energy to serve him, the boldness to share him, and contentment in him. And so I think that's what these verses are really speaking to. Knowing God is true wisdom, is true revelation, is true knowledge. Now, we use those words, wisdom. We may use those words in our personal life. For sure, knowledge and wisdom, I think these are words that are probably in our everyday vocabulary. Uh, but what do these words mean? Because there's biblical definitions, and then there's the things that we know about wisdom, knowledge, and revelation. Well, let's start with wisdom. Wisdom, as we know, is, uh, or begins with the fear of the Lord, right? We see that in Proverbs. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Uh, so wisdom, therefore, is, God, is a godly manner of thought, speech, or actions, right? That's, that's walking wisely, is having uh, these things, doing things in a manner of, uh, of, of wisdom in your speech, your thought, and your actions. Revelation is another word that's... Um, that, that we know, that we use here at the church. It's the revealing of truth, right? The, the book of Revelation is about the revealing of who Jesus Christ is in the last days, how he's coming back, and how he's taking us home, right? That's, that's the word revelation. Uh, we use this word when we speak, speak of general revelation, right? God has revealed himself through creation. We know that there's a creator because there is a creation, uh, but we have special revelation, which is the word of God, and that's where he has been revealed in the son, Jesus Christ, right? We have general revelation where we see in creation. We know there's a creator, but then there's a special revelation, which is where we find who Christ is in his word. So those two, I think, are the, those first two are pretty self-explanatory and easy to, to understand and grasp. This last one is where it's a little, a little more difficult. Uh, the word knowledge, I think we all know what knowledge is, right? You learn something, you have knowledge. Um, but that word is the, the Greek word gnosis, uh, kind of like where we get the words diagnosis, prognosis, stuff like that, right? A diagnosis is when you've figured something out, and this is what you have, or this is what you don't have. <coughs> Excuse me. But this Greek word for this word knowledge is epignosis. Now, this word epi is kind of like where we get the words epidemic, epidermis, uh, epidural, uh, those kind of words. It means upon something or the upper layer of something. And so when this prefix is used with words in the Greek, what it does, it causes that word to be elevated in its meaning, for the lack of a better way to describe it. So in other words, it's kind of like saying knowledge upon knowledge or a greater knowledge or the cream of the crop when it comes to knowledge, right? A, a divinely revealed knowledge. And so that's what these three words, uh, how they carry their meaning. So what we see, uh, Paul's prayer begins with these things. He's telling us these are attributes of Christians. These are things that God has given you. These are things that every Christian needs, and not only needs, but this is, every, this is what every Christian has been given. Right? I think that's important for us to see and to understand that knowledge, wisdom, and revelation are just not things that we can find that we don't have within us. They're things that have already been given to us. So let's go ahead and move on to verse 18 
Verse 18 says this, having the eyes of your heart enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. So I kind of put a focus on the word that I want us to look at, hope, right, the hope of glory. When we think of hope uh, today, what do we normally think of? I mentioned this earlier, like I hope that this comes across well, and and I did that intentionally, uh, because when we think of the word hope, we tend to think of like uncertainty or a possibility or some kind of probability of a a desired outcome. Um, We say things like, man, I really hope I get this job, or I really hope you're right about this, or I hope you have a great day, or I hope you don't think you're leaving the house looking like that, right? Like, uh, that, that, there may be some certainty in that one, but uh, that, those are ways that we use the word hope, right? Those are ways that hope um, gets used today. But this is not biblical hope, right? This is not the hope that we see in Scripture. So I want to give us a couple examples of that. So first one is found in Colossians chapter 1, verse 27. Colossians 1, verse 27. It says this, To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, excuse me, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Right? Christ in you, the hope of glory. I don't think that sounds like uncertainty or a possibility or probability. That sounds fairly certain to me. Romans chapter 5, verses 3 through 5. We had uh, our Bible study this morning was on verses 1 through 5. And so uh, Brother Gary did a wonderful job with that. And if you haven't seen it, I'd suggest you go back and watch it. But um, there's another example of what hope is. We see it here in um, verses 3 through 5. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that sufferings produce endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame. It does not disappoint because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Amen. Yes, amen. So if hope is not probability, possibility, or uncertainty, what is it? Well, there's a song that we used to sing here at the church. I think, I'm not sure if we still sing it. I forgot to ask Creed this morning, but uh, it says this. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. Right? That's, that's a solid foundation. That's not a, something where we're just kind of throwing caution to the wind uh, to find something that we're looking for. Uh, there's this, this uh, preacher that I like listening to, Alistair Begg. He, he, has, he gives us a really good definition as well. I wanted to quote him. He says this concerning hope. Hope is not a blind faith or an anxious anticipation for something that, you may, or may, not, that may or may not come to pass but the assurance of a reality that you have not yet fully experienced. Right? He is telling us that this is an assurance of a reality that you have not yet fully experienced. Now, if you were to look up this word in the Strong's Dictionary, or Vine's Dictionary, excuse me, or the Strong's um, Concordance, uh, or, yeah, you would find that this word hope uh, is defined as a joyful and confident expectation of eternal salvation, a joyful and confident expectation of eternal salvation. Now, when I think about expectations, right, I think this is a word we're all common, we're all, that's all common to us. Um, we expect a lot of things from people, right? If, if we're driving in the road, we expect people not to just swerve into our lane, 
Um, if we are with our kids, we expect them to obey. If you're at work, you expect to get paid. Um, we have all kinds of expectations, right? We have expectations. Y'all have expectations of us as pastors. Y'all have expectations of each other as Christians or us as Christians, right? We have expectations for everything. These are standards that we've set. And the unfortunate thing about all these expectations that they usually don't get met, right? We usually fail. Uh, There's usually problems with us maintaining people's expectations of us. But what we see with God in Numbers 23, 19, it says this, God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should repent. Has he said and will he not do? Or has he spoken and will he not make good? I think that's important for us to, to understand. We have these ungodly expectations for people just because we expect them to do right by us. Uh, but God in his word has revealed who he is. He, he's revealed his promises to us. And we can always expect God to do exactly what he said he will do. Now, we, we're fragile. We're frail. We're fickle. We, we, we won't always do that. Uh, but as we read in, in 2 Corinthians, the hope that we have is this treasure in jars of clay. And we have it to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. We are perplexed, but not driven to despair. We are persecuted, but not forsaken. We are struck down, but not destroyed. So with that, we can praise God for hope that's rooted in his promises. Amen. So we've seen the spirit of wisdom. We've seen the hope of glory. Now we need to look at the power of God, this witness that we have to the power of God. And it's here in verse 19. It says this. And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the according to the working of his great might? Now, this, like I said, these verses, the way Paul writes a lot of times, he's using a lot of words, and, and there's times where it makes it a little difficult. You've got to read it a couple of times uh, to really get a grasp of what he's saying here. Um, but yeah, this immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believes according to the working of his great might. Now, when I think about that verse and I studied through it and kind of come to grips with what it's saying here, I, I realized it was something that I've struggled with. Uh, most of my life. And so the reason I say that is because coming from a church uh, where uh, it, it was riddled with fa- these false teachings of uh, the word of faith movement and the prosperity gospel. And, and these were things that, that you're taught that you, you think of God in this big way. Right. You think of God as in this in this big way, but it's not to make much of God. It's to make much of the things that he can give you. Right. It's like God is big. Therefore, you can get big things from him. Right. Uh, that that was the the overarching theme in a lot of messages messages that were presented. So you, you think of God in this big way, but ultimately you're loving the gifts more than the giver, which essentially makes a mockery of God and diminishes His power. And so, in an attempt to to overcorrect this train of thought, like I said, this this wasn't every church I've ever been to, just the one that I went to in my formative years. Um, and where I, where I actually was saved at, um, in an attempt to overcorrect from falling into that ditch and that way of thinking, you end up falling into the other side of the ditch to, to stay away from as far away as you can from that stuff. And, and in the desire to see God high and lifted up, to, to see him as holy, to see him for who he is, uh, but not fall back into the, that other ditch, you hinder yourself in the way that you view God and ask things of God that are 
written in his word. And so there's this fear of falling back into the old habits and old ways of praying. um, And and there's this this struggle there. There's a tension there. And what that problem is, I'm not very uh, flashy when it comes to titles and things like that. So I don't have a fancy name for it that's going to make you laugh or, or really stick with you. But only what I called it was a yeah, but syndrome. I just said, that's, that's what I think about whenever I think about the way I've, I've hindered God in his word and, and what he says. And so I want to give a couple examples of that. For example, John 14, 13, right? We read this verse and it says, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do that the father may be glorified in the son. Right. He's saying, ask whatever in his name and he will do it. Right. But then I'll say in the back of my mind, yeah, but and then I I go this route. Right. Yeah. But yeah, God said I can do this. But this John 15, seven, if you abide in me and my word abides in you, ask whatever you wish and it'll be done for you. Yeah, but. Right. And then then I bring God back down to to the human level. Now. What you may be saying right now, I mean, I already condemned word of faith and prosperity stuff. So I, I hope you're still with me. and You're not like, Laramie, where are you going with all this? Um, but, I, you know, that, that's I, I want to be faithful to the scriptures. Right. I want to be faithful to what God is saying here. And so what I'm not saying is think big, dream big and you get big. I'm not I'm not saying that like that's just the way it is. Um, but what I am saying is it's one thing to know about God. And what he's capable of. And it's a completely other thing to know God and to know he will do what he is capable of. There is this quote that I heard from this pastor that I I respect dearly. Uh, His name is D. Scott Meadows, fantastic uh, preacher and teacher. Um, He said it this way. He said, it's one thing to acknowledge that God is almighty, right? All powerful, all knowing, omnipotent, right? That That this is who God is. It's one thing to know that he is almighty, But it's another thing to count him on being so count on him being so right. We we, we will say it all day long in word in word. Right. God is all powerful. God is all knowing. God is everywhere. He is capable of all these things. But then how do we pray? How do we live? Right. How, How do we how do we how do we live in light of this truth of who God is? So what I what am I saying? Right. That's kind of what I'm saying. Paul here is praying under his apostolic authority, being guided by the Holy Spirit, that the church should know what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe according or in accordance with the working of his great might. Right. So what is in accordance with his great might? How great is his might? How great is his power? These words here, measurable greatness, power and might. These are all synonymous words here that are being used by Paul. So what is the immeasurable greatness? Well, if it's immeasurable, like God is God can't be measured. Right. He's infinite. Right. He has no limits. He's limitless. If God is infinite, his power is infinite. His power is limitless. Right. God had the power to create everything in creation, everything that we see, uh, every move that we make, breath we take, everything was was created by God. Right. This is what this is what God has done. This is the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. And this is the same power that raised us from spiritual death and gave us eternal life. But it goes further than that. Not only did he do those things and not only does he uphold all of creation by the word of his power, but it's the same power 
that works in you to live the Christian life. It is the power that helps you fight against sin. It is the power to stand firm in the faith. It is the power to resist temptation. It is the power to love your wife like Christ loves the church. It is the power to submit to your husband in all things out of reverence for Christ. It is the power that allows children to honor their father and mother. It is the power to obey every command that God has given. And it is the power for us to know him more. Amen, right? Amen. Yet, yet, we still make excuses. Right, I'm just, I'm just too weak in that area of my life. Right, I, I just, I'm not ready for that yet. I can't help it, right? This is just who I am. I've, it's, it's habitual. I've grown up this way, and I've always done it. And, you know, I, I'll probably struggle with this the rest of my life. Or I've tried it, and it doesn't work for me. Or, man, you just don't know my spouse, right? We've had these conversations, and it never ends well. I can't talk to them about this stuff. Or you don't know my kids, right? They don't listen, they, whatever, whatever the excuse is. Or when it comes to serving, I'm just too busy. You know, I, I work, and this and that, I'm just too busy, I can't do it. Or what if, what, what, maybe this is you. I'm just not ready to forgive that person for all the things they've done against me. Or when we're caught in sin, well, hey, you know, I'm not perfect, right? I make mistakes. I'm not perfect. Other people in the church are doing the same thing. If it's none of those things, what is your excuse for not trusting in God's power? Because we all have something. What's your excuse? But what did God say? That we are to know him and his immeasurable greatness of power towards us who believe. Right? We say we can't. God says we are to know him and his immeasurable greatness of power towards us who believe. I think of a great example of that just now because I was struggling earlier in this sermon. Uh, it's, hey, it, it takes God's grace to get through anything and I was hoping he wasn't going to do it while I was up here, but hey, this is who God is, right? Um, prime example. So do we understand that God is not like us? Right? Do we understand that? Isaiah 40, 28, and 29 says this. Have you not known, have you not heard, the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary, his understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint. And to him who has no might, no strength, no power, right? who has nothing to give, he increases strength. He gives power to the faint. And to him who has no might, he increases strength. So what's your excuse? Right. Where are you weak? Because God's power is made perfect in weakness. God's power is made perfect in your weakness. 
There is no excuse that's good enough. He has given us a spirit of wisdom, the hope of glory, and he has made us a witness of his power. Right? We are walking testimonies of God's goodness and power. Right? There is no reason why we should be saved other than God's grace. Right? None of us were good people. None of us did everything right. All of us ran away to our own ways of thinking. That's who we are. But God, being rich in mercy, saw fit that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So I want to close with a story. Um, it's a story I heard. From my understanding, it's true. Uh, so we'll just take it like that. There was a man, uh, this was, I don't know, a long time ago, and he was looking to cross the Hudson River. Hudson River. Ugh. And uh, that was his goal, right? He was going to do this in the middle of winter. When he wasn't going to swim across. He was going to walk across. Uh, this river is about a, a half a mile wide. And so his desire was to, to make this trek and, and say he accomplished it. And so how he set out doing it is he kind of started, took a few steps, and then he started like kind of feeling on the ice to make sure it wouldn't crack beneath him. And he ended up crawling, right, because he was, wanted to be safe, right? I totally understand that. I'm... I, I'm, that's, the, that's the way I think, right? So he was kind of crawling and, and feeling his way. And so he gets about halfway across this river, and um, he starts hearing a noise behind him, <clears throat> and he finds out it's, it's galloping. It's some horses, a uh, horse and a carriage, right? They're just, and they're just, they just fly by him, right? He's looking back. When he sees them, he tries to caution them, and they just fly by him. And he's like, oh, no. Well, they make it all the way to the other side, unscathed, no issues, fine, right? No issues. They make it all the way across. Here this guy is crawling this grueling pace to make it to the other side and they just fly by him and everything was okay. So he stands up and he walks across and you know, end of story, right? Fascinating story, isn't it? Uh, so what, what's the moral of that story, right? What's, what's one of the morals that we can take from this story, right? The, well, there's nothing wrong being cautious, right? We shouldn't throw caution to the wind. We shouldn't be foolish in the things that we do. We should be good stewards of everything that God has given us. Absolutely. Right. That's 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 where we that's where we should be. But I want to talk more about the tail end of the story. Right. Once he realized where he stood and how solid that foundation was underneath him, he was able to walk with no troubles. Right. So it is with us. We have been saved by grace. Right. This is not your own doing. This is by the grace of God. Right. We have been saved by grace through faith. This is not our own doing, but a gift of God so that no one may boast. And not only uh, has God saved us, but he's put his spirit of wisdom within us. He's given us a hope of glory and he's made us witnesses of his power. If this is who we are in Christ, what else is there to fear? Is there anything that we should fear? So as our music team comes up, um, the invitation or the exhortation, uh, the however you want to take whatever shuns that are left um, that I want to give you is that if there's something in your life, right, that, that has scared you, brought fear in you, that you have little faith in this area, or you're just struggling with for whatever reason, right, if there's something where fear has consumed you and your faith in what God has called you to is lacking in whatever area, um, pray like Paul for wisdom, for hope, and for a deeper understanding of the power of God. There's this quote by Thomas Watson that I want to share with us before we go into this time of prayer. 
He said this, Jesus went more willingly to the cross than we do to the throne of grace. Jesus went more willingly to the cross than we do to the throne of grace. So let's uh, spend the next few moments in prayer. You can come up front if you want to pray with someone or you can sit at your seat and um, we can go from there.